Good morning, everyone. Hope you have a wonderful day. We continue. We left off. Yivamis 15a, the first chapter. The 15th line from the top. Toshma, bring you a proof. Whether Bishamai practically follow their own opinion or practically follow Basil's opinion. Rabtarfin said, Rabtarfin was a student of Bishamai in Teveni. I yearn, I can't wait, I hope, I yearn, I long. Must I went Tavit Sodas Abbas Liyadavisiana? When will my brothers, <laughs> my brothers uh, who married my daughter, the, my brother married his niece, my daughter, but when will I be able to marry his co wife? Which is very strange. I mean, he can't wait till his brother dies <laughs> childless. His, his wife, his daughter will become a widow. <laughs> childless widow and then he'll be able to marry he can't wait to marry okay you have to understand what that means how well, you know, what does he mean he can't wait to marry uh, his brother's co-wife so, but, the, but nevertheless Abtafim was a student of Beishame so we see that he holds that a co-wife you're allowed to marry a co-wife his brother married his daughter yeah his brother married his daughter so, so it proves clearly that Beishame actually held his opinion and followed his opinion the mother says, "Ema say va'asienna to others. No, Beishamai really practically followed Hillel's opinion. What he says is, I can't wait till I'll be able to do like what Hillel said, marry to others, because I can't marry you, not me. Firstly, I'm you know I'm, I can't I can't say I'm wishing my brother dies and then I can marry his wife, but also I, I'm not allowed to marry his wife, his co-wife. You know, my daughter's co-wife." But he means I'll be able to marry off to others. He doesn't need any Yibun, doesn't need any Chalit. He doesn't go ahead and marry others. He says, I long for, which means that he's doing something special. He, wants, he can't wait to do something novel. Everyone follows Hillel. You're telling me that everyone follows Hillel. So what's special? Of course, when, when a brother dies, the co-wives are free and they can marry anyone. He comes to exclude. Rabbi Yechon Ben-Nuri tried to reconcile to Rabbi Yechon Ben-Nuri tried to make an enactment to make everyone happy that you should do a chalitza. You should force them in this case to do a chalitza. The co-wives should do a chalitza. So you make Hillel happy, you make Shammai happy. Hillel said the chalitza means not nothing. What do I care? I'm not doing anything. I'm not violating anything by doing a chalitza. And you make Shammai happy by doing a chalitza. You fulfill your biblical obligation that you're, no longer, that you're free that's now to marry. So that's what, he, that's what he said. No, that's, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what he said. No, he's saying that's not a proof. So he really, really did not follow his own ruling. But why did he say, I'm, I, I, I long, I try to, I yearn to be able to do this? Because he's saying that we don't follow Rabbi Echnu Benuri, that the rabbis did not enact his enactment. Like we learned yesterday, because then it's going to give a bad name to all, all the previous husbands who were married. You're going to force them to now to do a chalitza. You're going to do it right. You're going to force them, for, no, not Mamzeh, you're going to force them to make a chalitza. And therefore, they're going to be, their husbands will lose, they'll lose uh, respect. The husbands will lose respect for their wives. See, we married you illegally. And that's why we don't do that. And that's what was never enacted. That's what he's coming to Abtarfin to say. That we don't do what Rabbi Yechlin Benuri suggested. Toshma, bring another proof. Once it happened, the daughter of Rabbi Gamliel, the daughter of Rabbi Gamliel was married to her uncle, Rabbi Gamliel's brother, Abba, Rabbi Gamliel's brother. We may play bun when he died childless. We yibin Rav Gamliel as Sarasa. Rav Gamliel married his brother's co-wife, his his daughter's co-wife. So we see clearly that Rav Gamliel followed the opinion of Shammai, and Shammai Shammai stuck to his opinion. He, he practically implemented his opinion. 
So the Gemara says, wait a minute, but here's what, according to you, Rabbi Gamliel, and Tamid Beshamai, Rabbi Gamliel, Beshamai, Tamid Beshamai, Amaliel is from the students of Beshamai, Rabbi Gamliel is not from the students of Beshamai. He was a descendant of Hillel. So he's going to follow Shammai and not go against, not go against his own, own grandfather, great-great-grandfather. <laughs> They're all descendants of Hillel. And Shimon was Hillel's son, then there was Rabbi Gamliel Azokin, and then there was Rabbi Shimon Gamliel the first, and then there was Rabbi Gamliel of Yavne, and then there was, and then there was Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, the father of Rebbe, and Rebbe, Rebbe was the seventh generation from Hillel. So he's going to go with Shammai and not follow Rabbi Hillel. Makes no sense. So how do you explain it? Ella, we have to say, surely he followed Hillel. So how could he marry his, his, his sister-in-law? Ella, shine the Gamliel, the islanders have it. The daughter of Gamliel was an islanders, like we learned in the Mishnah. Since she could never have children. And he knew she was an islanders. He married her, but she, she, she could not have children. Therefore, even though it was a legit marriage to Abba, Gamliel's brother, but there's no obligation of Yibam in this case. The whole point of Yibam is it has to be a woman who's worthy of having children to carry on the legacy of your brother. If she's not capable of having children, she never was capable of having children. She's an islandess, which means she has signs of a male. She's like a little, uh, not, right, not 100% feminine. Therefore, in this case, she's exempt from Yibum, and therefore doesn't exempt the co-wife. The co-wife remains obligated to Gamliel, and therefore that's why he married her. That's even according to Hillel. In fact, how could he say that? That's the opinion of Achedim. Achedim explains that what happened was that she was an islandist. But the, the first Tanakama, the first Tana holds that she wasn't an islandist. So how do you? So obviously she holds it wasn't. Now nevertheless, Avraham married her because he followed Shami's opinion. So the Gemara answers no. He could, he could, he could, only everyone says she was an islandist. Only the argument in the Tanakhama, the first opinion, and Achedim is whether the husband knew she was an islandist or he didn't. In other words, whether the marriage was a mistake. It's a mistake. Like you buy something and then it's defective, and I'm sorry, but then the whole purchase is, is invalid. You know, you bought a lemon, the whole purpose is invalid. He didn't really, he thought he'd marry a woman to have children. Later on, it turns out she can never have a child. You know, the marriage is is null and void. I don't have anything to get. It's null and void. It never happened because it's a mistake. It was was all a a false assumption, false premise. So that's the argument. So, therefore, in that case, for sure, for sure, there's no marriage. So, so the co wife is not a co wife, she's the only wife. So in that case, for sure, Rabbi Gamliel can marry the sister-in-law. But versus Achedim said, no, even if he knew, even a case where the husband knew he's marrying an island. And he married her anyway. And it's a legitimate marriage. But nevertheless, since she can't have children, therefore, she's exempt from Yibum. Therefore, you don't, you don't exempt the co-wife. She's not a co-wife of someone who you're obligated to you, but you can't because she's an illicit relationship. She's out of the picture. It comes to Yibum, she's out of the picture, out of the equation. So in the equation of Yibum, there's only one, one wife, the co-wife, and she's legit. That's right, I'm going to be married. Another explanation, everybody is saying, The difference between them is that he divorced. Yeah, he married He married the daughter of Ram Gamliel. Abba, the brother of Ram Gamliel, married Ram Gamliel's daughter, his niece. And then he divorced her. So 
So the argument is whether the Tanakhama holds that since all that matters is the time of death, since the time of death, he was not a co-wife, she wasn't a co-wife, time of death, he already divorced um, the daughter. So the time of death was only one wife, a co-wife, which is not a co-wife, she's the only wife then. Therefore, Rabangalil has to do Yibam with her. But Achedim says, no, the fact that at some point they were co-wives, it excludes the widow from Yibam, because like we learned earlier, when does the Yibam start? Yibam starts the moment you marry her. So you're marrying her, it's a, it's a total commitment. In life and even after death. Commitment is now I become attached, not only to my husband, I now become attached to the brother. If anything will happen, if my husband will die childless, I'm, a continuation of that marriage will continue through his brother. So the fact that they're both married at the same time, married the co-wife with the Yibum, that, 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 therefore, even if he divorces her, it doesn't matter. So once the co-wife, co-wife is already a co-wife. Once a co- yeah, according to this opinion, according yeah, to, right. according, according to according to Achedim. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. According according to the Tanakam, and according to the Achedim. I'm sorry. According to the Achedim. According to Tanakam, uh, he's allowed to marry. Even if they were co-wives together, all that matters is the time of death. According to Achedim, no. If they were co-wives together, it would be a problem. The only reason, the only reason he was allowed to marry her was because it was an islandess. It was an islandess. Uh, now we got another case coming up here. In other words, according to Tanakam, she doesn't have to be an islandess. It doesn't matter even if she wasn't an islandess. What do I care? She wasn't an island. She was a legitimate wife. Someone you could do Yibamah. But he divorced her before he died. Then she's out of the picture. All that matters is the moment of death. When she was out of the picture, therefore, Rabbi Gamliel can marry the ex-co-wife. It's not a co-wife anymore. When he died, he was the only wife. But Rabbi Achedim says, no. Since they were married together, if she was a regular woman, even if he divorced her, it would be a problem. Because the moment of marriage already begins the Yibum, and therefore the connection and a co-wife of someone that's an illicit relationship to you disqualifies the co-wife as well. But in this case, since she was an islandess, since she was an island, she couldn't have children, so she's out of the equation, so it doesn't matter. That's, that's the reason why. So if it doesn't matter, even, even if she was still his wife when he died, she's an islandess. She's out of the picture, out of the equation. And therefore, the co-wife is the only one who could do Yibam, and therefore he's obligated to do Yibam. Another third explanation, the boy same. Yes, The difference between them is whether if there's a condition, if you make a condition, if that could, un- could uh, nullify the marriage, even after they were intimate with each other. Right. Now, you make a condition. I'm marrying you in the condition, let's say you have no vows or, or you don't have any defects. Turns out she did make vows. And it turns out she does have defects. So the Tanakhama says, and the marriage is null and void retroactively. Even if after they cohabited together, even after they were intimate together. Retroactively, there is no marriage. So it's not a co-wife. There's only one wife. And therefore, Rabbi Gabriel could do yim in her. But the Achedim says, no. If they cohabited, if they cohabited together, oh, the Achedim says, no, it doesn't matter. Once they cohabited together, then I presume that he canceled his condition. Because a person is not going to be intimate with a woman unless if it's not legitimate. He's not going to do out of wedlock. Mm-hmm. If he has a chance to do it in a kosher way, 
He married her. He had a chance to go to the kosher way. He's going to do it kosher. So the fact that he was intimate with her, even though she turns out she has a defect, means he made a decision, you know what, I'm marrying her, I love her unconditionally. Unconditionally. Without any conditions. I don't care if she has. I'm changing my mind. No, he changed his mind. Otherwise he wouldn't be intimate with her. First he would find out if the condition is true. He can betroth her. First he would find out if the condition is real. If he meets the conditions, and only then would he be intimate with her. The fact that he was intimate with her before he found out, before he checked whether she met the conditions or not, that means he, may, he changed his mind. He says, you know what, I'm marrying her even if she has a vow, even if she has a deal. So therefore, how could he marry with a co-wife? How could, how could Rabbi Gamaliel, after the brother Abba died childless, how could he live with a co-wife? She was a co-wife of his daughter, of the illicit relation. So you have to say, we're talking about an island. It's talking about she's a case where she was an islandess. She's out of the equation of Yibam altogether. That's the one we use. He picked the fruit of an Ezrig on the first day of Shvat. And he gave two tithes. Meiser Shendi and Meiser Oni. Right. Why? It's, you can't do both. Every year you're only obligated to give one of those two. Right, right. You have to give Truma to the coin. Then you have to give Meiser the first 10% after the Truma you have to give to the Levi. Then you have to give another 10%. Right. You have to give basically more than 20% of your crop away. But it depends. The second, the 20, the second 10% depends which year it is. If it's the first and second and the, and, the, and the fourth and the fifth year of the sabbatical year, that money you can use. You just uh, It's sacred. You have to take it to your shalayim and eat it in your shalayim. Or redeem it and take the money and spend it, spend it for food items in your shalayim. It's called Maiser Shani. The third and the sixth year of the sabbatical year, you have to take that 10% and give it to the poor. You don't do both. It's either Maiser Shani or poor. But since he collected the Asrig and Rishchei Deshvat, and we have an argument between Shammai and Hillel, when do you start counting the, the year? When does the new year begin? When does the, the, the third year, when do you transfer from the second year to the third year? Mm-hmm. So Shammai holds from Rishchei Deshvat. That's Rishchei Shonali Lonis. Esrig is a fruit from a tree. So Rishchei Deshvat is the line. That's the deadline. Till Rishchei Deshvat belongs to the year number two. In the third year, Rishchei Deshvat now begins the third year. So according to Bishamai, the third year, I would have to give which one, which starts with Shreder Shvat, I would have to give which tithing. The third year started, I have to give it to the poor. According to Beis Hillel, we follow Tuberschvat. So the new year, the fruits of the new year only begin with Tuberschvat. This was, this he took, plucked off the tree under Shreder Shvat. So it belongs to the second year, it's still part of the second year. So I have to give Maiser Sheni. So to fulfill both opinions, he would take, he would give two Maisers. From the Esregim that he took, he gave twice double. Took 10% and gave it to the poor, and 10% he took and ate it in Yerushalayim. One 10% to follow the pinging of Shammai. One 10% to follow Basil. So what do we see from here? Also, from this we learn that Shammai, when Shammai held an opinion, he followed his opinion. Rishchidosh Shvat is the beginning of the new year, and he actually followed his opinion, so much so that Rabbi Akiva followed both. Means he, in practice, it wasn't just an opinion and theory that a nice academic discussion, but in practice, Shammai followed Basila. No! Shammai followed his own opinion, and Rabbi Akiva followed, followed both. 
Mara answers, no, it's not a proof. Really, I'll tell you, Rabbi Kiva, Gemara is topic later. Rabbi Kiva, really, he only followed Beisila. But he wasn't sure what he learned. He forgot what he learned. He forgot what Beisila's opinion was. Not that he was worried about Shammai. Shammai himself never even followed his own opinion. But he couldn't remember what he learned. Did he learn that the Beis Hillel holds that the, begins, the new year begins for fruits? Or does the Beis Hillel hold them two Beshvats? Out of doubt, he did both. So in deference to both? One school, in deference to the Beis Hillel, but he wasn't sure what Beis Hillel's opinion was. So therefore he did both. Yeah, I mean, the two rabbis in the arguing, and I don't know who the Allah is, okay, then you can call it a doubt. But here we're saying it's not a doubt because Shammai himself followed Hillel. Shammai himself... It was like an academic discussion, but in practice, Shammai followed Hill according to that opinion. So, so what do you mean he was in doubt? He was in doubt what, what the halach is, what, what Hillel's opinion was. That, that was his doubt. Mazut as we learned in the Mishnah, we learned in Shakhtit Sukkah, that once the daughter-in-law of Shammai gave birth to Pichism as a and he removed the roof, opened up the roof under the bed. So we have an argument in Tractate Sukkah between Shammai and Hillel. The obligation to train a minor to do the mitzvah of Sukkah. Which age? Which age does it begin? So, so Hillel says it only applies to a child who doesn't need his mother, who's independent. And, and, and Shammai says, no, even a child, a minor who's dependent on his mother. And then the mother tell, tells a story to prove that, that Shammai's daughter-in-law, even on the crib, opened up the roof so the child could eat, could eat in a sukkah. I he so Shammai, I'm sorry, you're right. Yeah, Shammai himself, Shammai himself opened the roof. So Shammai, it wasn't an academic discussion. Shammai followed his opinion. Mother answers, Since it's not obvious that he's def- denying or defying Hillel, he just wants fresh he's just, air. Right, yeah, maybe he's opening the roof. He wants fresh air. It got warm out. He wanted yeah. So therefore, therefore, that's why he opened the roof. But otherwise, if it's clear that he's arguing with Hillel, he wouldn't do it. The reason why Shammai would follow Hillel is why? What, what do we say the reason? What's the rationale? Why would follow, Shammai follow Hillel if he disagrees? Because you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't make camps in the Jewish people. You shouldn't, shouldn't be split. Don't forget, till Shammai and Hillel, till Shammai and Hillel, there was a Jewish Supreme Court, and the Jewish Supreme Court decided all the issues. So it was clear; everything was decisive. There was no arguments before Shammai and Hillel. Everything was decisively decided. There was no more Sanhedrin for the times of Shammai and Hillel. Well, or, or they couldn't come to an agreement. You know, they couldn't come to any decision, they couldn't come to any conclusion. But before that, they always came to a conclusion. They went to the majority. They were all on an equal basis. Only then, suddenly, Shammai is smarter. Hillel is not in the same caliber. So, so Shammai thought, you know, maybe even though we're in the minority, we don't have to follow, you know. <laughs> so until then, you never had this issue. They were all in the same caliber. You follow the majority. There was an issue. There was an argument. You follow the majority. They, they, that's why they were smarter. They started their education from, from when they're in the crib. They knew that children... Education begins even in the mother's womb. Before, not to make arguments, he wouldn't practically follow, follow his own opinion. But in a case where it's not going to lead to any arguments, or therefore, he would follow his own opinion. Thinking about a Muslim mazutra, mazutra, as we learned, the Braise, Maise, Bishakes, Yeyus, Yerushalayim. There was a trough. Yeyus, trough in Yerushalayim. Yeyus, trough 
which channel water. They channel water into from a nearby mountain, and it, and it will channel it into Yerushalayim. Boys in the Kuva it was connected by a hole to a mikvah. Itself didn't have the measurement. The trough itself didn't have the measurements of a mikvah. It didn't have the 40 saw. But it was attached to a mikvah. It was a hole in the wall. It's called hashaka, by kissing the two waters. So it combined the two waters. So it made Yehu's trough into an effective mikvah. And all the tar foods in Yerushalayim were prepared, were prepared with that trough. Utensils that were purified by emerging, emerging in Yeo's trough. Why? Like over here, a Kayla mikveh. They didn't want to dip their vessels in the mikveh itself. It'll get lost. <laughs> Things will drop. You'll find treasures by us. <laughs> the deep, very deep mikveh. So here, it was a very shallow. You dip it in. It was a kosher mikveh because it, it kissed. It was a hole connecting, a connecting hole. And, that was, and, and, and that was the, the that's what they did. Uh, the students of Shammai send and widen it. It's not a kosher connection until most of it is open. In other words, they send to widen the hole that connects the mikveh with Yehu's trough. Because according to Shammai, a little a little touch. That kiss is not enough. A majority of the dividing wall has to be missing. And they have to mix together in a large area, not just a little hole. So it wasn't a kosher mikvah, unless that's a shamay to, to widen, widen the opening. We learn, but we learn the Mishnah. The mingling of water is enough if it's like the size of a skin bottle's tube. Which is like two fingers. That you can, the hole is big enough. You can turn it, or turn around your fingers, and all sides. That's enough, in its thickness and in its hole. It has to be as wide, not only as the hole of the tube, of the of the canteen, but also the thickness of the of the uh, of the wall of the tube. Together, that size, which is like two fingers, that you can move comfortably around in the hole. That's enough for it to create a kiss and to connect the two waters. How much is it? It's boy, it's like two fingers, two adjacent fingers, which you can rotate. In other words, Beis Hillel argues with Beis Shammai, Shmami no also. We see clearly Shammai, not, it wasn't academic. He actually followed his opinion. So how could you say that Shammai didn't follow his opinion? Nigamara says, Hosam there. We continue on side B, 15 B. Someone who sees it won't see that he's arguing, doing it because he argues with Hillel. He'll say that he's doing it to increase the amount of water in the trough. So they're not going against, they're not creating two different factions. They thought maybe they just want more water to come, more water come from the mikveh into the trough, not this little stream that they pulled from the mountain. When I learned Torah, study Torah, I saw that he would eat dry bread and salt when there was a drought. Rabbi went and told his father, Rabbi Tzaddik, that Rabbi Yechon had nothing to eat. It was, it was a drought, it was a hunger. 
the, the store shelves were empty, and all he ate, all he had to eat was, was dry bread with salt. Amali said to me, Bring him olives. He should have something to eat with the bread. And I brought him. And he noticed they were wet, and he was worried. Maybe they became impure because they were moist. They were susceptible to impurity. Amali said to me, Rabbi Echen said to me, Rabbi Echen said to me, I don't eat olives. He wanted to get out of it. He didn't want to say that he, that he considers the olives that the tzaddik was giving him, that Rabbi Lazar brought him, were, were impure. He said, you know, I don't eat olives. But I went, I told my father. He understood, the father of tzaddik understood what was going on here. Of course he eats olives. He's just saying that he didn't want to, he just didn't want to say that, that he considers the olives that the tzaddik sent him to be impure. So tell him, Chavis Nekuva Haisa. The jug of olives was full of holes. El Shasmur Shmadim, with the sediment, plugged the holes. Okay. In other words, he was telling him that he didn't want them to be moist. He didn't want, he wanted dry olives. That's why he made holes in the barrel. So any moistness, any should, should, should flow out. So if you're not pleased with the moisture, if you don't want the moisture, then even if it does become moist, it doesn't become susceptible to impurity. It's only if you want it to become moist. Yeah, and the nicholet. So he was telling him, tell him that it wasn't Nikhale, and therefore there's no issue. You know, it's moist. Even if someone touched it with impure hands, it was never susceptible to become impure. Utnan, we learned the Mishnah. Chavis, he's explaining his, his, his reasoning. Chavis, a jug that was filled, a, a barrel, a bat, was filled with softened olives. You don't have to, you don't, the barrel doesn't have to be. Uh, holes full of holes perforated. They do have to be perforated. What's the argument? My holes that the sap that flows out of the olives is not moisture. It's like fruit juice. Fruit juice, it has to be one of the seven liquids. Not any liquid. Mm-hmm. It's only one of the seven liquids. Oil is one of the liquids. But the sap that flows out of the olives is not, it's not oil. It's not one of the seven liquids. It's just, it's just regular fruit juice. So even if it's wet, it doesn't become susceptible to impurity. Basilio says, no, sap is like olive oil. So therefore, only if it's perforated and you demonstrate that you don't want it to be moist, you want it to be dry, and you want all the, the, the sap to flow out, then even if it does become moist, you're not pleased with it, and therefore it doesn't make the olive susceptible to impurity. Umbaidim, but they all agree, they both agree, Shem Nikva. What if you, you, you made holes? But it became plugged by the, by the sediment. So then it, they all do become moist because the, the, the sap is retained in the barrel. But since I'm not pleased with it, I made holes. I demonstrated now it was out of my control. The, the sediment blocked the holes and therefore it all became moist. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't become susceptible to impurity because I'm not pleased with it. So what do we see from here? Even though Rabbi Tzaddik was a student of Bishamah, he called Maisel, the Yosek, the Rebbe Sil, we see practically. In other words, according, he could have, according to Bishamah, he could have told Rabbi Yechanan, it doesn't have to be holes. Even if it had holes, even if it didn't have holes, it's not an issue. It never became susceptible to impurity. You know why? Because I follow Bishamah. And Bishamah holds, sap is not, is not oil. Mm-hmm. He didn't say that. He said the reason it doesn't become susceptible to impurity is because I made holes. How is it also moist? Because 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 the sediment blocked the holes and therefore it filled up with the sap. 
And sap is like oil, but since I made holes, I, I demonstrated that I don't want it to be moist. So even if practically it becomes moist, it doesn't matter. So you see that practically the Tzaddik followed Hillel. So your mother says, If you're going to say, also, If you're going to say that Beishamah acted according to their opinions, that's what the Bryce is concluding. Wow! Rav Tzaddik was unique. That even though he was a student of Shammai, look, he didn't follow Shammai, he followed Hillel. Practically, he followed, in practice, he followed Hillel. That's what the Bryce is concluding. Rav Tzaddik is unique. But if you're going to tell me, Ahmed Loyosur, if you're going to tell me that, that, uh, that, uh, that Shammai always, practically, always followed Hillel, it was just an academic discussion, academic argument. So what's the Chiddush Rav Tzaddik? I don't know Tzaddik, everyone, Shammai and everyone who follows him also did like Hillel. Why is the Bryce concluding? Wow, Rav Tzaddik, even though he was a student of Shammai, followed Hillel. Shammai himself followed Hillel. <laughs> Raisa clearly proves that Shri Shammai implemented their own opinion. And that was unique about Rav Tzaddik. He doesn't refute this proof. Then he brings another proof for the same proof that Bishamay implemented their opinion. Toshma bring your proof. Sholus Rabbi Yeshua. They asked Rabbi Yeshua, Tzodas Abbas Mao, the co-wife of a daughter. If the deceased brother married his surviving brother's daughter, his niece, and he dies childless, and is a co-wife, What's the halacha malam? He said, Machlik is Bishami Sil. It's an argument to Mishama Bishilil. The halacha gave me, and he asked him, because again, according to Hillel, she's a co wife of an illicit relation, your daughter. According to Shama, you're allowed to marry a co wife. And they asked further, they asked Rabbi Yeshua, Halacha gave me, and who do we follow? Amalahem, Rabbi Yeshua answered, a very famous expression. Why are you putting your heads between two great mountains? Between two great between two great factions, eminent factions. I'm afraid. They're going to crush my skull. I'm going to make an opinion. I'm going to decide who Allah is like. I'm going to mix my head within these two mountains. I'm sure I wasn't sure who Allah was. Even though a heavenly voice said Allah is like Bishilil, but Rabbi Yeshua himself was the one who said we don't listen to a Basque. So he says, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mix into this argument. Are you kidding me? Look at the implication. According to Bishilil, also he was also maybe afraid of his life. Because if he's gonna say the law follows Bishilil. So it turns out that all those who married or followed Shammai, when the, when the surviving brother married the co-wife, their children are bastards. You think the bastards are going to take it lying down? He's running for the president of the shul, and you're telling me he's a bastard, and I can't marry Jews? You're going to suddenly say, and Rabbi Shur was the authority. And be happy about it. Yes. Be happy about it. They're going to take his life out. Someone's going to get angry and shoot him. <laughs> or in those days, not shooting, whatever it is. So, are you kidding? I'm going to get him... <laughs> I'm afraid. Avol, <laughs> he says, but I can testify. Two very prominent families in Yerushalayim. The family of Beit Savoyim. 
descendant from Ben Achmai, Umishpachas Beis Koifai, mi Ben Mekoishish, and the family of Beis Koifai, descendants of Ben Mekoishish, Shein Bnei Tzadis, they are descendants of co-wives who married without Chalitza, according to Shammai, Umehem Koinim Gedolim, and from them, their children were Koinim Gedolim, the Koin Godel, the Shimshu Agabim Mizbeach, and they served upon the altar. And no one objected it. Beshamay agreed to it. They were descendants of they were the descendants of the co-wives who did not marry their brother-in-law, who married, married, who married a stranger without doing a chalitza, without doing anything. In other words, they followed Hillel. They were free and they married and their children and there's absolutely there was no pagam, there was no no one said anything, even though they married, they violated, according to Shammai, they violated the prohibition. You're not allowed to marry a stranger, you're still connected to the brother until you either do Yibim or Chalitza. And nobody protested, even Shammai didn't protest. It's just a love. Yeah, just a love, but it's at least, it's a defect, it's a defect. To be a Koyin, to be a Koyin Gadol, you have to be pure, like mother's milk. Right, right, right. And, and no one protested, even Shammai didn't protest. In other words, he was just telling them a fact that even Shammai, at the end of the day, he didn't say anything if they followed Hillel. So the question is, if you're going to say, what do we see from him? If you're going to say, Shammai acted according to his opinion, that's what he says, I'm afraid to mix in, I'm afraid to say. Especially maybe I'm afraid for my life, if I'm going to suddenly render all those who followed Shammai as bastards, their children as bastards. They're going to come after me. Eliyam, if you're going to say, Shammai himself never followed his opinion, even before the basket. He never followed his own opinion. It was only an academic discussion and arguments. Am I coming to Why is he afraid? What's it to be afraid of? Even Shammai followed Hillel. And, and there are no bastards. No one ever followed Shammai. So there are no bastards. Not nothing to be afraid of. So it's a clear proof. But he says, wait a minute. Even if they followed, why is he afraid? That, 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 those who are, that those who are bastards, according to Hillel, will crush his skull. Rabbi Yeshua himself says that a mamzer is only if it's a relationship. If it comes from a relationship which, which, is, which, uh, which comes with a death sentence in the hands of court, a death penalty. So therefore, according to Rabbi Yeshua, these children are not mamzerim. You can tell them, even if I say the laws like Hillel, and the co-wife, you're not allowed to marry the co-wife, because the co-wife is a, brother, is a sister-in-law, your brother is wife, and there's no permit of yibum. But marrying a sister-in-law, marrying your brother's wife, before death, after death, doesn't matter. It's only chayif karas, it's only in the hands of Hashem. Your life gets cut off, but not in the hands of Bezdin. Even if you go ahead and have relations and you give birth, the children are not considered mamzed. So why, why would they crush his skull? Sigmar answers, You're right. He's talking not a mamzer according to Rabbi Yeshua, but pogam He's disqualified from kohuna. Their daughter cannot marry a koyin. And that's why they'll crush his skull. Here they were 100% glad kosher and all of a sudden uh, Rabbi Yeshua is demoting them. He's saying the laws like Hillel and according to Hillel, the children are disqualified. It's like a scar. And they can't marry a koyin or eat truma. So let's say if the brother-in-law was a koyin, 
If the brother-in-law is a koyin, he's, he's not allowed to, he's not allowed to marry her. And that's why he's afraid they're going to crush his skull. How do we know this? How do we know that this qualifies from Kuna? We learned this out. It's logically compelling. Learn a Kabbalah from a widow. A widow to a high priest. Just like in the case of a widow, which only applies to a high priest. Only a high priest is not allowed to marry a widow. A regular Kuna can marry a widow. But in the Benapagum, the son from a Kohen Gadol is tainted. If a Kohen Gadol is intimate with a, with a, marries a, a Almana, then the child cannot, is no longer qualified to marry a Kohen. She's a Halala. That any, any offspring of this marriage, if a Kohen is intimate with a, a widow, any offspring disqualifies her. And therefore, no Kohen can marry that daughter. In this case, where everybody is prohibited from marrying a sister-in-law. So how much more so that any offspring is a halala, she's disqualified. If it's a kayan, the daughter is disqualified from marrying any kayan. Okay, then he continues, the Bryce is fed, that Yeshua said, all I want to tell you is, there's two families, and he identifies their names, they marry their co-wives. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, the, a co-wife of an erva married, married out, without doing any chalitza, and their children became koyen and gedolim, the head koyen, and no one objected. So the Gemara says, kabo, minet tzadis, kapashali binet tzadis. They asked him about the co-wives of an erva. If you're allowed to live with a co-wife of an erva, you have to do chalitza. Is the law like Hillel? Is the law like Shammai? The kapashal of Nate Tzadis. And he's, he's telling them about the children of co-wives of an erva who marry out, who marry a stranger. What does one have to do with the other? You know, I'm asking you about one thing and you're going off on a tangent about something else. It's not relevant to our question. It's a different question. Whether if she goes out and marries, doesn't do a yim, doesn't do a chalit, if the children are okay or not. The mother answers, they ask two things. The students of Yeshua ask Yeshua two things. Tzadus mal, what is the law concerning the co-wives? Does the brother-in-law have to do yibum chalitza? Is he allowed to do yibum chalitza? He doesn't. Even if you're going to tell me that the co-wives we follow like Mesilla, you don't have to do anything. No yibum and no chalitza, and she's free to marry anyone. But Nate saw the Basila Bishamay Mao. What would Basil how would Bishame look at the at the at the children of this marriage? We know how Basilil will look at the children of the marriage of Bishamay. If the brother in law marries the co wife, their children are bastards. But how would Bishamay look at the children of Basilil? Those who follow Basilil go and marry without doing anything. Just go out and marry. How do we look at their children? And that's what he answered them. I'll tell you what happened. Their children became Kerenim Gedelim, and no one objected. Even Shammai didn't object. What practical difference is it? If we follow the Allah is like Bishilil, what do we care what Bishamai rules? The Gemara answers, there is a practical difference. This will answer a question. If a person violates a prohibition, 
And he goes ahead and he marries a divorcee who remarried. After she remarries, the Torah says you can no longer remarry her. The original husband can no longer take her back. Before she remarries, the original husband can take her back. But once she's married to another person, the, the original husband can no longer take her back. What if he violates this prohibition and he marries her? What's with the children? They're not bastards, it's just the prohibition. But what's with the children? So this answers the question, what's with the children? That the children are qualified to be a Kayan, and not only a Kayan, they're qualified even to be a Kayan, a Kayan Godel. That's what they answer, because according to the Shammai, by marrying out, by marrying with, with freely, without doing Yibam and a Chalitza with the surviving brother, she's, she violated the prohibition, yet she's not allowed to marry out until she finishes with this obligation to her deceased husband. And nevertheless, Shammai holds, didn't protest. The children can even be Kayanim Gedalim. There's no defect in the children. So, so even though halachically here it's irrelevant Bishami's opinion because we follow the laws like Hillel but it is relevant in another case if a, if a husband remarries his divorced wife after she remarried to someone else and he takes it back violates the Torah's prohibition what happens with the children okay we know they're not bastards what happens to the children are they defective can the children marry a Koyan not only can they marry a Koyan the daughters marry a Koyan these children they became Koyanim Gedolim so there's no issue yeah it answers the question What's the question? What, why is it even a question? Me, come in and do. We say, We can make a widow of a high priest, which is only unique to a high priest. doesn't apply to anywhere else. The Torah says clearly that if he has relations with her, the children are pogum, they become a cholot. They become disqualified from being a koyin. This prohibition, over there, it's also only a prohibition. There's no death involved. It's a prohibition, period, per se. So this prohibition, which applies to everyone, you're not allowed to marry a divorced, your divorced wife after she remarries. Surely, ain't a dinship pogum. Or uh, that a, um, a, a wife of uh, someone who dies childless, she's not allowed to marry out till she goes even mechalitza. This applies to everyone. Shouldn't the halacha be that her children become tainted and disqualified? That's one way of arguing. Or I can argue, I can refute this kavachem. Wow. The reason there, the child becomes pogum because she herself also becomes pogum. By, she also becomes disqualified. By the Koyen Gadol being intimate with a widow, now even a regular Koyen can't touch her. So since she becomes disqualified, that's why her children also become disqualified. But in the case of someone who he, he remarries his divorced wife, who, who remarried after the divorce, first divorce, after the divorce, she doesn't, the act of being intimate with her doesn't make her pogum. She's already a divorced woman. She's already become pogum. Or um, the wife of a deceased husband um, uh, who died childless. If she goes ahead and violates prohibition and marries, uh, marries someone without doing give him to mm-hmm. violates prohibition, but that intimacy doesn't make her disqualified from marrying a koyin. Just because I violated the law of prohibition doesn't make me disqualified. So since she's not disqualified by this act, therefore her children are not either disqualified. That's the argument. That was the question. And that's why they brought a proof. That's why he says that Bishamah didn't protest, that the children are not disqualified for that very, very, for that very same reason. Bamalu and Abishua said to them, regarding the question of co-wives, I'm afraid gonna, the, the descendants are going to crush my skull. We continue on 16a. But regarding the other question, that I can answer. That I'll tell you the answer. 
I can testify that even Shammai didn't protest because because um, because the children did not disqualify so much so the children even became high priests. The last piece, Imadis concludes its discussion whether Bishamai followed their opinion or was just academic. Tashma bring you a proof. We made Abdesab and Akinas. In the days of Abdesab and Akinas, Hutras, Tsaras, Habasli, Achim, the co wives of a daughter, became allowed, became allowed to marry uh, the surviving brother. Like, like Shammai. Shmamina also. Shmamina. It's a proof that Shammai did follow his opinion. It wasn't just an academic opinion. They actually followed their own opinion. Because Abdaisa was a. Abdaisa's brother was a disciple of Shammai. So therefore, in his days, his brother issued, issued this ruling. So people followed that decision. In those times, that became the accepted practice. Of course, later on, the law became established like Hillel, but Shammai did follow his own opinion. Everyone have a wonderful